world. Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me Thursday evening, 6 p.m., to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Got a fun show for you today, y'all, because the Blazers just picked up their best win of the season, 130-109 in Memphis, a game they absolutely had to win. Terry Stoss, prior to the game, kind of pushed back on a must-win scenario. Um, And uh, I think he's right. This wasn't a must-win. Just a really shouldn't lose. The Blazers didn't lose. They played truly their best game of the season. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what we saw from them. I thought this was uh, not just both in form and function their best game of the season. I want to talk about uh, some rotation stuff. I want to talk about Yusuf Nurkic playing his best basketball of the season. And then I want to close the show talking about what's next. These back-to-back games over the Pacers and the Grizzlies were very promising. But they were also games the Blazers absolutely had to have. Can they do it when the desperation maybe isn't as high? Or can they sustain this level of desperation? I guess that's the question we're going to answer or attempt to answer in the third segment. But before we before we move too far into the future, let's live in the, in the recent past. It's the best one of the year, y'all. I think there's better games. Maybe uh, you could probably pick more fun games, some Damian Lillard game winners. You know, being the Lakers early in the season is always going to be a game that sticks out. It, all of those things, right? Like, there's... there's um, But this one, considering what was at stake, considering where they are in the season, considering how they had played over the weekend against this exact same team, this is the best win of the year for me. And um, maybe not the most fun. Like, I'm an an entertainment guy. I don't love blowouts. I think if you're a big fan of the team, and and this is something that uh, Bomani Jones has taught me over the years, is that if you're a big fan of the team, blowouts are the most fun. Beat them down is, is way more fun. But this was... This was their best win because of what they looked like. Right from the get-go, it was so clear that the level of effort and execution was just, you know, taken up a notch. I said in this podcast in the past that I'm a little hesitant to, um, you know, point out effort with NBA players. I think we I think we equate execution and effectiveness with effort. They say, oh, they, you know, if they if the shot goes in, they tried harder. If, or if the shot goes doesn't go in on defense, you know, they were trying harder. But this was just, it wasn't that they were like, the Blazers were playing a lot harder. Sure, they matched, they matched Memphis's energy um, and even surpassed it. But what it was was a level of focus on on like game plan specific stuff getting back and getting in front of John Morant and and getting back and getting in front of John Morant uh not only you know stopping his dribble and, and his penetration so he didn't get easy points but also taking care of the ball on offense so you don't have stupid live ball turnovers that let Memphis get out and run and when they do get a run when they do try to run or they run off a miss or if they try to push the pace off a break picking up and stopping the ball and then finding those cutters finding the guys getting wide to the wing so you can't you know switch where the ball is, you know, throw it, throw it diagonal pass ahead, which is really how teams beat you in transition in the NBA a lot. Those diagonal passes ahead and spreading defense out so they can attack you before you're truly set. The Blazers were able to get set. They got back. The offense was flowing. Norm, CJ, and Dame really got hot early. And this game was over at halftime, up 28 at halftime. And some of this is just like the Blazers made a bunch of shots, right? Uh, this was, if they don't make a kajillion shots, it doesn't look as good. But just from, and I'm not going to pick apart the box score here, but just from like, just from the moment that you turn the game on, from those first 
four minutes, you could tell that the Blazers were super locked into what they needed to do and that the Grizzlies had their attention. I think that's what this was. And that's like sort of the big takeaway for me here is like the Blazers, you know, they, they, they played Memphis really close on Friday and lost. Then they, they had a, a stinker for three quarters against the Grizzlies on Sunday. And that was really embarrassing. And if you listen to this podcast, I kind of, I kind of buried this team after that one. I said that, you know, the season's pretty much over and what they accomplished from here, you know, they, they've, they've kind of already dug themselves too big of a hole. But I also said that the only way to get out of it was winning both of these games. Started it by beating, um, beating the brakes off of a really bad Pacers team. Great. Check that box. Keep it moving. You know, Amphrey Simons has nine threes. That's a bunch of fun. But, you know, over the after the game, after the game on Sunday, Dylan Brooks says, you know, we want to sweep the Blazers. We've never we haven't forgot about uh, what happened in the bubble. And that got the Blazers attention. And not just that, not just the comments, like I'm not pinning it on Dylan Brooks, although I do think that like the Blazers don't particularly care for Dylan Brooks. And that's fun. Um, It's always fun to have villains. But you know, Memphis is beat them, beat them by by playing harder than them for the most of the game on Sunday, uh, put them in a really bad spot. That was an embarrassing loss considering just kind of how it went down and then kind of talked a little mess. And so the Blazers came in locked in, focused, like like as as focused as, as they have looked and as sharp as they've looked on offense and defense at the same time, maybe all season long. Like this was just, this was playing a team that's, that's, equally as talented as them that had all their parts you know Memphis is totally healthy uh with uh Jonas Valanciunas and Jaron Jackson both in the lineup and the Blazers just beat the brakes off them just said cool we're going to we're just better than you um and I kind of I've, I've thought all year the Blazers are a little more talented but um the the sort of energy and the speed of Memphis really gave the Blazers trouble in those first two games and they really locked in particularly on transition defense on just like sort of making this hard on making this on, on making sure that this wasn't easy um, and, and that, that, I know that that sounds simple, but to make, to make it slightly more challenging on your opponent is one of the Blazers' biggest challenges. And they did it here in a way that felt like, okay, we get it. This is the level we can play at. Like if we really put it together, this is the level we can play at. And I think to me, that was sort of the big takeaway is that the Blazers touched their ceiling in this game. They, 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 for, for the first time in a while, touched their ceiling. Damian Lillard looked good. Like, um, he looked really good against the Pacers. And then he said after that Pacers game, he told Jason Quick of The Athletic in a, in a post-game interview, kind of like, he kind of said the sort of cliche thing that was like, I took the challenge and I wanted to lock in and make sure we pulled away in the third quarter. And the Blazers did, and Dame really did like take the challenge of guarding Malcolm Brogdon in, in, that game and and they played really well uh in like a 40 to 19 blowout for third quarter against the Pacers but I but I hear those words from Dame and I've, I've he's a guy who gives great quotes and speaks honestly I knew he was speaking from the heart but he's also someone who says the right thing a lot and I kind of I kind of put that in the well he's saying the right thing that's the right thing to say is that I I took the challenge we have to be better we know we have to be better etc cetera, etc cetera. like I to me I, it's like yeah, of course he said that. And then they ba- they backed up their captain's words by coming out right away. There was no slow start. There was nothing like that. So this was a, you know, they were up 15 at the end of the first quarter and then 28 at halftime. Like they just blitzed them. Memphis only had 46 points in the first half. It just, it was, um, I don't know if like those, those sort of, 
Damien's words like really got everyone inspired and all that, but they were talking the talk after beating a bad team and I was kind of brushing it off. And then they came out here and showed what they're capable of and beat a good team. Went and beat a team that was, you know, two games above 500 at home, smoked them, took their best player out of the game. John Moran really struggled in this one to get going. Uh, they didn't let the other guys really beat him up. You know, John ja- ja Moran's definitely sort of the head of the snake and they, and they slowed him down. And that was the difference in this game. And sort of that, that focused effort, I, I focus, I think is the best way to put it. Like that focused effort was, um, was as impressive as we have seen them play this year. The, the offense comes and goes as sort of like, okay, they can be really good for stretches. Obviously, sometimes against elite teams, they kind of struggle in crunch time, but that's because um, good teams are good, right? But, uh, this was the offense was clicking at the level that we know it can be. And the defense play, they played as good a defensive game as we've seen them play all year, or at least as good a defensive game as we've seen them play in a really, a really long time. And certainly both sides of the ball together were as impressive as they have been. What I want to talk about in the second segment is one of the keys to this one, not just, you know, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum looking really good. And they both were really good or Norman Powell looking really good, but the man in the middle, Yusuf Nurkic, He's putting together a stretch of really good games, and that is the key to raising the Blazers' ceiling. I want to talk about him. I want to talk a little about the Blazers' rotation in the second segment. But before we get there, let's talk about rockauto.com. Y'all know rockauto.com? It is the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. And you can go to their website right now, rockauto.com, to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. And while you're there, you'll see that their catalog is remarkably easy to navigate and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle whether that be engine control modules or brake parts or tail lamps or even new carpet whatever it is a few easy clicks and all of it will be delivered directly to your door plus you can scroll through there and pick out the brands the specifications and the prices that you prefer anything you want and exactly what you want you'll find it on rockauto.com So head over there right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're on rockauto.com, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right. So we talked about the Blazers' best game of the season. Let's just keep talking about it. Uh, some some key parts of this one. One, when Carmelo Anthony is good, the Blazers are usually good. Like it's it's pretty rare that Carmelo has a good game like he did tonight. Eighteen and six, hit four threes, and the Blazers lose. I mean, it's it's occasional, but it's just it's hard for them. If if he if he has it going, they usually win. And he has he had it going tonight. Uh, another big one. Damian Lillard didn't have to play in the fourth quarter. Um, got his time in and left. I think that's that's crucial. You know, they got real garbage time because they put this game away and not not extending Dame too much is important. Still played 31 minutes, but he didn't play the final 7 minutes to push him back to push him up towards 38. Second night of a back-to-back 30 minutes is is a, a really nice number for him to play. Uh but the big one and we talked about this is that is that Nurk is balling. Right now, Yusuf Nurkic is living up to how good he can be. Uh, and if you are familiar with this podcast or if you listened to it to episodes in the past, you know that I I think that Nurk is the sort of, is the guy. Um, he's not the Blazers' best player. It's not close. Uh, I don't really think he's their second best player. I don't think it's particularly close to that. Uh, there's been nights this season 
for the most part, when he hasn't been their fourth or fifth best player, certainly not fourth and often not fifth best player, it's been nights this season when he's not the best center on the roster. Over the last four games, and even five if you go back to the Denver Nuggets game where he only scored eight points, but I thought he played really well against uh, Nikola Jokic, and he did other things. He rebounded and moved the ball. Like I, th- I thought he had a nice little game against uh, against Denver despite not scoring a bunch. But over his last five games, he's he's been legitimately very good. Uh, during that stretch, which includes a 19 and a 17 rebound performance, Yusuf Nurkic is averaging 15.2 points. 12.4 rebounds, four assists, a block, and a steal in 25 and a half minutes a night, shooting 49.2% from the floor. And if you're into it, one of two from deep. He's also shooting uh, 77% from the free throw line, averaging about four and a half attempts per game. And honestly, like, I think the box score numbers, like, they, they give you a sense. You know, they, they're like, you know... He's, he's he's averaging 15 and 12 like you don't that's, you don't need too much more than that but you can just watch him um there were there were there's one play tonight that really sticks out for me and it's actually a bad a bad moment he uh the Dylan Brooks scored and he went to go press Damian Lillard and kind of denied him the ball in the inbounds uh and the ball came into Nurk and he could have put pushed it like put the ball back into CJ's hands and just run up the court but he decided to dribble down the court uh try to get them into something dribble kind of casually and and Kyle Anderson came behind knocked the ball away and they turned the ball over and CJ had to had to use like a take foul to stop a John Morant dunk and CJ yelled at him he yelled at Nurk like immediately turned to him um Obviously, I wasn't in the arena in Memphis, but I saw it on the broadcast. Like, immediately turns and yells at him. Just, you know, what, what are you doing? Slow down. And uh, to me, that was notable because there weren't a lot of Nurk moments where he needed to get yelled at. There weren't a lot. There weren't. A, there have not been moments over the last week where you where you want someone to grab Nurk and say, "Dog, you're gigantic. Just take your time and be gigantic." Like, you know, they're, they're just, there haven't been these moments where we, where we are all CJ McCollum screaming at Yusuf Nurkic like, Hey bro, <laughs> I, I just need you to slow down and play better and not be, not do stupid stuff. Um, you know, later in the second half, he had a, one where he got blocked by John Morant and then came back down and tried to do a scoop layup. But for the most part, like you can just see Nurk being smarter, um, early in the Memphis games. Uh, in the Mem- in these three games against Memphis, he you know was getting the ball on the block against Brandon Clark and just punishing him for being too small. And and in this game, you know he was he had a big dunk in, tra- in like semi transition, rolling to the rim in a pick and roll, where it's like maybe Nurk in the past would have taken an extra dribble and tried to bank it in or flip it in, but th- this time he just one power dribble got up, slammed it, you know, finished above the rim, used his strength. Uh, you know, he's making good decisions. He's 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 effective on offense. He's rolling into the paint with purpose getting two feet under him and going up. He's still not an elite finisher, y'all. Like, he, he's just not that. And um, the the jump the jump shooting, I'm just, I, I don't care for it, quite frankly. No thanks. Not everyone needs to shoot threes. But you can just watch him. And this is as good as he's been. This is as good as he's been in two years. I, I mean, maybe this, maybe he's getting back to the level of the bubble. But quite frankly, I think his defense is better than he was in the bubble because I think he just has a little more juice right now than he did then. Um, he's... You know, he's bringing it on defense. He's 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 just raising the Blazers' ceiling on both ends of the floor with his playmaking, his scoring inside, his strength, his ability to set real screens and be a decision maker on screens, and his ability to to defend uh, and take up a bunch of space on defense. Like this is this is the Nurk that raises their ceiling. This is the Nurk that can be their third best player. That on nights you can argue he's their second best player, and on every night he's going to be their most important player because Dame and CJ you can count on a level of consistency. And I think actually these last two games Dame has really looked like 
the letter O. And that's really important because just sort of like him playing well is really the actual key. It doesn't really matter how good Nurk is if the if your star player is there. But I'm like I'm I'm saying if you get the like baseline, you know, all-star level Damian Lillard and the baseline, you know. 20 and some change from CJ McCollum. Nurk is the guy that changes the calculation. He is the guy that makes them go from a decent team that gets eliminated in the playoffs or 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 even just a team that ends up, they might still get eliminated even if it plays really well. The West is tough, but like a team that ends up in the play in round versus a team that avoids that, earns their four days off, gets the six seed, you know, if if you really got big eyes after these couple games, gets the fifth seed, chases down the Lakers on all that. But like he he's he's the difference maker. He wasn't the only thing I noticed in this game. The other thing I noticed, I think Terry Stotts was settled on a nine-man rotation, and it does not include Nazir Little, and it does not include Derek Jones Jr., who picked up a DNPCD today. I think it's because when you um, at the end of the game putting when when it was garbage time and you know Nas played the last six minutes, that was the only the only time he played. It's kind of disrespectful to a vet like DJ to put him in with. Um, Harry Giles and CJ Ellaby. It's just like, hey, you weren't part of the plan. We're not going to go that direction. You know, the final couple minutes is going to be Kelgen Blevins and and uh, and CJ Ellaby. We're not going to, yeah, I don't know if, if disrespect is the right word, but we're just, we're not going to, your, your role is not like end of the bench young development guy. You're a veteran and you're just not in the rotation right now. But the way the rotation was, was the typical starters you, you would imagine. Dame, CJ, Norm, Rocco, and Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, and then Mello. Ennis Cantor, Anthony Simons, who if you listen to the show yesterday, I said basically Simons is locked in. He's going to play. The, he's going to be part of the nine-man group every night. And then number nine appears to be Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who is signed uh, for the rest of the regular season after finishing up two 10-day contracts. So the Blazers chose to keep Rondé Hollis Jefferson for the rest of the season. A no-brainer. Um, he hasn't been super good. I think he's a pretty, pretty much a zero on offense, but he can contribute, and he played tonight. Um, he got this same kind of run against the the Nuggets or Nuggets against the Grizzlies in their first, excuse me, the second meeting on Sunday. Uh, Stotts went to the same thing where Rondé Hollis Jefferson is the first big guy off the bench, along um, coming in for Nurkic. So he basically comes in and plays center. He's the he's like the uh, initial backup center before they go to Cantor, and that eliminates some of the time that you get with uh, Ennis and Carmelo Anthony on the court, which I like. That is, that's a good coaching by Stotts to avoid that pairing a little bit. And fr- quite frankly, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is is stronger and a better rebounder than Derek Jones, and he can play up up at five and guard fours and fives at a level that Derek Jones Jr. can't. Like, DJ can guard ones and twos really well. He uses his length really well on point-of-attack guards but if you're going to play him a in a lineup it's hard to play him in a lineup with dame cj and norm because one of those dudes needs to guard the little guards and then where you're putting dj is is a spot where maybe his defensive skills aren't as valuable like he can get bullied he's not as he's not super duper strong he's i mean he's not strong just straight up and uh and that that makes him he's not a great offensive player, and I think that kind of changes the calculation. Ronnie Hollis Jefferson is stronger and a better rebounder, and he can play up a spot, and he has earned that that um, or he has been given that role. And quite frankly, if you listen to if you are a regular listener to this podcast, uh, you you know that I'm not a big Derek Jones believer. I think he's fine. Like I think he he can play and should play, but the idea that he's not part of these these this nine man group and Rondé Hollis Jefferson is, that's not a travesty to me. I don't think, I don't think Rondé is, um, you know, I don't think we should get caught up in who's making what kind of money with like 10 day contract versus like 
quote unquote big free agent signing. Like it's right now, um, I don't think you could make the case that Derek Jones is significantly better. Um, I think if you were if you think it's weird, I, I could follow you down that path and say, yeah, it is a little bit weird how we ended up here. But um, Rondé just gives them something as a small ball five and as his ability to check fours and fives with his strength and with his motor uh, that DJ doesn't give him because he's a better he's better at guarding guards. You know, like that's that's just the calculation here and that's why he's out. But I think this is your nine man group going forward. I think that those normal starters with Mello, Rondé, Ennis, and Ant off the bench could be in most situations your nine-man group. If like this was a playoff game, uh, the Blazers treated this at least at least the first three quarters like playoffy type minutes. Like we saw we saw what Terry's gonna what does it look like for Terry when he has a sort of a must-win type of group, even though he didn't call it a must-win. Uh, how about we'll say a can't lose? This was his can't lose rotation, and this is what we saw. Like this was this was the nine-man group he went with in a, in this one. Um, I have no beef with it, I, but I do understand if you're like a DJ believer and you kind of don't don't get it. But I think those are the big takeaways. The Blazers played as well as they have on both ends of the court all season long. Nurk is starting to put a string of games together where he looks really good, and consistency both for this team and for their starting center is the is the biggest challenge. If if he can do it, it leads to them being able to do it collectively. It's this is this is re- really good news, and I also think Terry Stotts has tipped his hand and showed us what the new sort of nine nine man group he trusts is. Uh, he's typically a guy who will you know try something and stick with it for a hand maybe a beat longer than most people would like. So I think we see this group for the most part, you know, foul trouble and specific matchups. Maybe will change it a little bit, but I think this is your nine man rotation going forward, and I don't think it includes Derek Jones Jr. Speaking of going forward. Let's talk about what's next for the Blazers. They continue a road trip, four more games on this trip. Let's look ahead in this next segment to what awaits the Blazers on Friday and beyond. But before we do that, let's talk about betonline.ag. It's just the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Got baseball season in full swing. Plus, this weekend is is a great weekend for betting with the Kentucky Derby, the first leg of the Triple Crown, y'all. Plus, just... Everyday great betting action where you can get the latest news, odds, and info on all your sporting needs. That's baseball, basketball, hockey, uh, fighting sports like UFC and MMA action. So get in there. And so before that next pitch, head over to betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is promo code LOCKEDON at betonline.ag. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast, where host Peter Bukowski gets you caught up on the latest stories in every major sport with the help of our local experts. So make sure you follow Locked On Today on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. All right, we talked about the Blazers' best win of the season. We talked about Nurk. We talked about Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Uh, we talked about Dame sitting out the fourth quarter. That's that's big news. And Melo playing well, as as and when he does, the Blazers usually win, y'all. But now let's talk about what is next. The Blazers continue this road trip. And like I mentioned in that first segment, the, Memphis got the Blazers' attention. Whether it was just two two losses they didn't want to lose, you know, a, a couple close losses, one bad loss that ended up being close, and, and, and one, you know, coin flip loss at the end on Friday. Whether those two losses or Dylan Brooks talking shit got their attention, whatever it was, 
they were up for this Memphis game, up. Like, um, their energy was up, their focus was up, the, the intensity was up. Like, they blitzed this team by being sharper and better. And I think um, the question for me, can they do that? Can they play at this level? Because this is the level they need to play at. Like, they're not going to beat every team by 20 and score 130 every night. But they're capable of being a lead offensive team. And they're capable of being this locked into the de- to the defensive game plan. This is why I've been saying all year that, like, the, co- the sort of criticism of coaching, while I don't think the coaching staff has been very good, like... Some of this is some of this is on the guys. Like some like this is personal responsibility. And I think that was kind of what Dame was getting to after the Pacers game. It's like, you know, um the coaching staff has 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 its struggles and they're they're pretty they're gonna be pretty stubborn and kind of do what they do and all these things. Like like there's there's a limitation there, and we'll get into that some other time. We've got into it in the past. But like the the onus in each individual game is on the guys to play at this level of sharpness and this level of focus and this just sort of this level of of want to this level of of give a crap i guess uh there have been times this season when the blazers have wilted when things have gotten tough and they have gone away uh you know last sunday or a couple sundays ago in charlotte you know they gave up 42 points in the first quarter and there's just peace that's that uh you know in a couple close losses last week that wasn't it i thought they were playing a little bit better and then they followed that up with a dud on sunday where where early in that game memphis was playing harder than them you know and 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 Effort is something that they can control. And it's it's not all effort. You know, obviously you need skill and a game plan and all those things. But but the sort of attentiveness to we do not want their best player to do X showed up against the Memphis Grizzlies. And that's the challenge for the Blazers moving forward. They're going to play a team that likely has Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Although Brooklyn is liable to sit anyone at any moment. So who knows who will play on Friday. But both of those two gentlemen have been available in recent games. Uh, James Harden is out indefinitely, so he will not play. But... You know, it's, it's, you know, keep, keep those guys out of what they really want to do. Uh, easier said than done specifically against the Nets, but that's a team that maybe you can't slow down on, slow down completely on offense, but you can get what you want and not give up stuff on the other end. Get into your stuff, make them, make their defense work. The, that game is followed by a back-to-back Sunday at Boston and Monday at Atlanta. Those are both good teams. Uh, Atlanta has is a little bit banged up. They've been missing some key parts. So we'll see who kind of, we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves talking about Monday in Atlanta, but, you know, we'll see who they have. Boston has been missing Kemba Walker and, uh, and Jason Tatum, so we'll see who they have. But if those teams are full, like at full strength, this is a really tough three-game stretch. And while the Blazers sort of had this um, ex external motivation with Memphis, uh, familiar opponent, obvious playoff implications, just played them, uh, recently. One of their players kind of beefed during the game and then talked shit after it. Like this one had external motivators, right? Uh, and the Pacers just not an NBA team that the team they they put out on the court, it's barely an NBA team, but like, can they carry over this level of execution and, this that level of focus, and I think focus is the word I really want to use. I try I, I tried to use it in the second or in the first segment, then I got away from it here in the third. But can they bring that level of focus, attention to detail, and and um, throughout you know throughout a full game against a team that maybe doesn't have their attention the same way Memphis grabbed their attention and demanded it? That's the real test. The other sort of part of me that. Um, you know, in the back of my mind is that like, this is this level of focus and this level of push they're going to have to sort of be in 
over this stretch to get where they want to go is pretty taxing. And I think this is where I was at on Sunday where it was like, you know, they can turn it around and I'm happy to eat my words. You know, the Blazers are a half game behind the Dallas Mavericks right now for six. Then they're above the line. They've got the tiebreaker with Dallas. They're sort of right back in the right spot. But this is a really... Not only do they do have they showed what they can do, but now they have to show what they can do it against good teams that also need to win. Like I don't know, I don't know if Brooklyn needs to win. I guess they probably want to hold on to number one in the in the in the East or whatever. But like the Hawks and the Celtics are also trying to avoid the play-in game on the other side of the bracket. Like they these are teams that are in the same spot as the Blazers. They're also going to be desperate, and they're not going to have this sort of like natural rival thing that the Grizzlies had with them. Uh, the Blazers gave themselves the distance they needed from the Grizzlies, uh, and an important win over Memphis tonight. But the question is, can they sustain this? And if they do sustain this, how taxing is it by the time you get to the playoffs? That's that is what worries me is that the the performances last week, some of the bad luck in close games, and then a really stinker on Sunday made these games absolute must wins. And then if you can sustain this level, how much do you have left in the tank when when you get to the playoffs? I think that's why it becomes crucially important to get sixth. Uh, it's I still kind of think you want to play the Suns over the Clippers, but I think it's crucially important to get sixth. You just want to be sixth because you want those, you can get four whole days off. Basically, you know, maybe more depending on when your playoff series starts, potentially five full days off. That would be to clear your mind, get your body right, and relax, you know, just focus in on a, on who your playoff opponent is get get ready as opposed to having to play one and potentially two tough games in the play in to sort of survive and get and get there this was tonight was proof that the blazers are capable the test is whether they can continue to do that and if they do continue to do that at what toll i think that's that's what we have to learn and that's uh i think you know i I think this was their most important game of the season and their best win of the season. But because of the way this works, a loss on Friday erases what this a lot of what this does. Like, I'm not going to bury them if they lose to the Nets. That's really good. But I think over these next three games, if the Blazers are going to sort of be where they want to be and keep pace with everyone else, the Mavericks have an easy schedule. I mean, that's one of the big problems here, and the Blazers don't. you got to win two out of three. You got to figure out a way to win two out of three and, and keep this momentum going. Now, if they go four and two on a six game trip, that's that's pretty impressive. But that's kind of the position they put themselves in, right? Like they put themselves in this position where um, they have to be this good. And on Wednesday night, they showed that they can be this good. They showed what they they showed legitimately what they are capable of. So let's see them do it again. I, I I enjoyed Wednesday evening. I thought they played well and played smart and played hard. Um, and, and they didn't need Damian Lord heroics to bail them out. You know, CJ was really good in this game. Norm was really good in this game. Nurk, like I mentioned, was really good in this game. This is, this is it. Like, this is their level. Can they do this for 10 more games? I said on Sunday, they had to win these two for me to sort of, um, for them to have any chance. They easily did that, including an incredibly impressive one on Wednesday night. I am not, um, I'm not baking that crow pie just yet, but I'll tell you what, they've checked the boxes for me so far. Let's see what this weekend holds. That's going to do it for this episode. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.